Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we are so excited to have Luna Dietrich here with us, also known as Pussy Witch. Uh, She is a pleasure-centered sex educator, writer, and coach, and we're just honored to have her here with us in person today. Uh, So welcome to the show. Mm, Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with both of you. So one of the first questions I like to ask our guests is, how did your spiritual journey begin? Catholic school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went to Catholic school for seven years, which turned me atheist pretty young, Mm. which turned me rebel very young. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I didn't really have a moral code that I felt in alignment with. And then um, I explored lots of intense sensations like sex when I was 14 years old, penetrative sex and drugs. And then when I was 17, almost 18, I fell in love and took LSD with this lover. And they asked me, well, do you think that there always was something or that something came from nothing? And while I was in LSD and I was super in love, I was just like, wow, that's God. And it just, just like that, everything shifted for me. And instead of just not seeing God at all, I saw it in everything. And that was, that still remains my, pretty much my belief system. Mm -hmm. It's really fluid and like ever changing. And yeah, I don't have like definite code. Mm. I like that. I like <laughs> keeping things open and just being, you know, open to the change because we, we do change so much. And yeah, I love that. Bella here. Plus, I always forget to say that. I say that like the very last thing I'll <laughs> say on the podcast. I'm like, Bella here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a beautiful way to frame things. And I believe that when you're always looking for the divine in others and in every living thing in, in in the inanimate we can live a much happier more pleasure centric grateful life instead of just seeing lack everywhere mm-hmm. i was uh, listening to a different podcast the other day i was cheating on us <laughs> and uh it was a comedy one don't worry <laughs> i didn't stray too far um and they were talking about how It's so easy to see like the beauty in our loved ones and to have so much grace and compassion for our nearest and dearest. But when we get to the people, I'm not naming names, that we find really, really challenging, Trump, (laughs) um, it gets a lot harder to like have that compassion and that love. And that's where the deep real work is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that too. It's easy to say like your lover is amazing and you have so much gratitude and compassion for them. But when someone really, really challenges you, where is it now? Mm. Definitely. And yeah, and seeing 
just the miracle in everything. I also like don't, one of my biggest pet peeves is probably spiritual bypassing and mm-hmm. living in Asheville. I come across it often. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm immune to it either. Um, but it's something that I try to look at and to really sit with, um, and especially because I'm so passionate about social justice and activism, like not just like, well, everything happens for a reason mm-hmm. or, well, that horrible saying, we're all one. It's like, Mm. I'm really, really into paradoxes and Mm. both and mentality. And it's like, yes, we are all miracles and justice needs to be served. (laughs) And there's more than one ways of loving Mm. something and loving our existence. Yeah. Can you explain what spiritual bypassing is? Uh, To me, it's like... Not recognizing that, okay, there's so many different ways to explain it. That's mm-hmm. such a good, great, great question. Um, one way to look at it is people are just in their upper chakras, if that's a modality that mm-hmm. listeners um, can go with. But yeah, to not, I think like a great example is, the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Mm. And so, like, something that really pisses me off is when something horrible happens to people, like someone is assaulted or, you know, black people being incarcerated, and then people are like, well, well they chose this. Like, mm. they, they came into this life to have this mm. experience. And the truth is we don't know. Like, we, no one actually knows why we exist or why we're here, um, like, collectively. Maybe mm-hmm. you know that really truthfully in yourself, but to put that onto someone else, I feel like that's, like, bypassing, like, all of the stuff that we have to do in this reality. Like, mm-hmm. bypassing, like, well, it happens for a reason. It's kind of like giving up on the work of, like, okay, well, what can we do on the ground running? Like, well, how can we mm-hmm. change these systems of oppression? How can we live in this life, in these bodies, and not just, like, be in the spirit realm and be like, well, we're all mm. magical creatures. Yeah. I, don't, that's, I guess it's easier to describe in example form. Mm, yeah, that makes sense for sure. It's, like, understanding that we're also part of the systems that function in this society and in our cultures. So, yeah, that explanation makes a lot of sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, like, when people are like, love and light, baby, I'm like, yeah, but, like, are you calling your local senator? Like, what are you doing about this <laughs> issue? Your prayers, like, are mm-hmm. appreciated, but let's have some, you know, action. Yeah, exactly. practical applications of what you believe in. Exactly, sure. and both and, because on the other side of it, I see activists being so burnt out because mm. they don't have, like, they're not embodying love and light. They're just, like, or they're just not thinking about what they're grateful for or they're mm. not mm. following their pleasure. It doesn't even have to be sexual, but just, like, embodying some of that in their lives, too, that they get so exhausted by mm. just trying to serve others. So that's why I think so both are so important. Yeah. Got to have the balance. Definitely. Mm. So uh, one of the things that you talk about is open relating. And that's a term that I've heard a lot recently. And so I'd love for you to um, chat about what that means to you and how one might be able to practice that. For me, open relating 
um, has been a lot, has come in a lot of different forms in my life. And I've been doing it for about six or seven years. Um, but it can mean so many different things to different people. So for me, like I had two boyfriends for a year and a half, like two primary partners and, that was pretty exhausting, <laughs> but also worth it. I mean, the reason why I started being in open relationships is because I would just fall in love with other people. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so much that I was searching, which that is how some people operate. And like, I totally cheerlead that. Like people have so many different needs and like, there's just so many amazing people out there and no shame in having multiple people in their lives. Um, and for me, it's just always kind of <laughs> been not an accident, but it kind of feels that way, like where I'm just like have a close friend and or meet someone and it's just so intense and I'm already in love with someone. It's not even like, mm -hmm. oh, this one relationship is horrible and so I'm moving on. It's like I'm in love with someone and then I fall in love again and my heart mm -hmm. is always like, I feel like I'm on psychedelics mm. every time it's happened. And it's happened like four times now, like these big wow. uh, shifts in my life. Aww. So I've, it's almost for me, open relating is like um, a prevention method mm. because I notice that I have the capacity to be in love with multiple people at once. So it's like, keeping that conversation open. Like right now I have one partner. It's really awesome. Life is way easier. And we keep th that conversation really open. So if this does happen, then we know how to navigate it. Mm. And um, even then it can be kind of messy. And that's how the last partnership ended. So yeah. And then some people see open relating as you have a primary partner and then you date on the side or um, you just have sex with other people and you have a primary partner or like there's solo polyamory where like you don't have a primary partner of any sort and you are just dating people. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, there's so many different ways. Um, there's a book called Designer Relationships. And I just, I mean, just even loving the title that there, <laughs> we don't have to just fit into these boxes. Like mm. just as there's amount of people on this planet, there's just iterations of being in relationship with them. Mm. I mean, just like everything that we do, we're in relationship with. So when we mm. stop like listening to these cultural norms or these like Disney fairy tales of, oh, um, they're supposed to do this for me. Like it's something I really like about open relating is that it helps me challenge my the fairy tale brainwashing. It's mm. like, oh wow, I'm in love with two humans at once. And sometimes it's been a woman and a man at the same time. More often it's been two men. It really challenges that like, oh my gosh, who am I gonna get married? Like <laughs> I don't even know if that's something I want, but it really helps like my brain kind of broke sometimes. Like it, it just, it helps me question what I really, really want rather than what's been told to me over mm. and over again for like my entire life. I love that. So really like consciously deciding what you want and creating that. Mm. It's funny in my experience in the past, like people say, you know, 
being in a relationship or even just being like queer or bisexual is like having your cake and eating it too. But for me, it's always felt more just like trying to make like six different meals simultaneously and like constantly <laughs> checking on all the sauces. Like, is that burning? Like, you know, it's good, but it's, you know, a lot of work. Mm. I imagine like for you going through this, like communication must be so integral to the health of yourself and your relationships. What are some of your like tools that you've found helpful? Oh, well, <laughs> or the ones that were unhelpful. I don't know. Yeah, there's medicine in both. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It feels this all feels like a definitely a tender topic because mm. two months ago I ended a big, really big relationship um, and we communicated a lot. So I, f I feel like and oh, there's so many thoughts in my head right mm. now. Um, I see that for so many people, like literally the question that I get asked the most from my clients, I've seen it pro at least a thousand times from wow. asking people on Instagram different questions or getting emails or surveys I've done. Um, it has something to do with communication. Like, how do I tell my partner this? Mm -hmm. What do I do about this? How do I get more of this? And it's the answer is some form of communication. So what has helped me a lot, and I know this is coming from a white cis man lineage, so it's not for everyone, and nonviolent communication has mm. helped me so much. I've done like uh, 32 weeks of training of nonviolent communication, wow. and it has helped me so much in open relationships. So the thing that I, like the tip that I would give people to like, reduced 32 weeks down would be tuning in to what it is that you're feeling, figuring out what it is that you're needing, and then making a really, really, really specific request. Mm -hmm. And that request could even be, could you repeat what you heard me say? Um, could you... Or it could be like, would you be willing to sit with me for five minutes? Would you be willing to share how that makes you feel mm -hmm. hearing me say that? Mm -hmm. um, but something that was really hard in my past relationship was that there was these very non-specific requests. Like, mm -hmm. I want a partner who takes me out on dates more. I want a partner who does blah, 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 or mm -hmm. plans trips or wants threesomes or whatever that I want a partner that does this. And this, I feel like is a actually like a, whether they're conscious of it or not, a subtle type of manipulation mm -hmm. because they're not accepting you and they're not, they're like basically saying, I want you to be someone else. And they're not giving you a specific request on what they're needing it's mm. just like I want this idealist like in the cloud type of human like it's like that fairy tale like kind of like yeah. I want this it's like well I'm not that I'm here like what specifically so yeah tune into what you're feeling what it is that you're needing is it more time is it to be listened to is it to be empathized with mm. and then coming up with a very specific request mm. I love okay so is that sort of the difference between asking someone to kind of fundamentally be different than who they are or just very generally vaguely different and asking for a very specific need to get met if that that's something that your partner can do without putting the pressure on it? 
Well, I think to answer your question, I I would differentiate between, and they talk about this in NVC, the difference between a request and a demand. Mm. And so a request is where you get (laughs) really conscious of when you ask for a request to not have... um, to not get angry mm-hmm. at your partner, your lover, your friend, whoever that you're asking if the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And so my teacher would talk about, and maybe this came from Marcel Rosenberg who collected the information for NVC, um, but like being like a little kid on a tricycle, just like asking people to come ride their bike with mm-hmm. with them and be like, do you want to be on a ride with me? No. Okay. And then moving right. on. <laughs> and so that's how we are making. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> and so that's what it comes to dating or sex mm-hmm. and like, and getting comfortable with receiving a no. Mm-hmm. And so actually getting comfortable with receiving a no has been so freaking empowering because Mm. then I can actually ask for what I want Mm. because then I'm not terrified Mm. of asking and actually thinking about what I want because Mm. before I got comfortable, not that I'm totally comfortable or anything, (laughs) um, but before I started practicing receiving no's, I wouldn't even get in touch with what I want. Like I had no idea because mm. I just didn't know how to get a no. It was like a preemptive strike against like potential rejection by not even asking. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And then we hear, I mean, just like how sexist the world is. But I mean, how many times typically a woman says no to a man and he gets really angry. So just like having... So that is definitely a demand. That is manipulation. That's dominator culture. So a demand is like when there is a lot of attachment to that request. Mm. And so that's the thing. Like we can't expect anyone to meet our needs. And one partner just can't meet all of our needs. And so that's another reason why open relating does work for a lot of people because Mm. our sexualities are vast and complex and beautiful. So... Mm. Often one person isn't going to meet all the needs in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just taking this all in. Like, yeah, like just, <laughs> it's really beautiful. I love how you've differentiated or this, um, you know, the school of thought has differentiated the different types of ways of asking. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think I have consciously thought about that before and I've been practicing like being poly for quite a while now and it's like oh my goodness I can really take this and more tools for your belt (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. I would just like topics shifting a little bit. I just need to know more about your eco-sexuality. We're both just like (laughs) so excited, Mm -hmm. like holding this question back. But I just like, (laughs) what can you like for maybe our listeners that don't have that much context of it? Because I know from my own research, like there's a pretty vast difference in how people practice their Mm -hmm. eco-sexuality. I really love this sort of stepping stone of shifting your view of the earth as your mother to your lover. Mm -hmm. But I wonder like, what is it like for you how do you practice oh. that sigh is so sweet <laughs> um also are you always poly if you're an ecosexual because like you always have the earth as your lover <laughs> is that your primary partner <laughs> so oh so many things your questions <laughs> would just like make my heart and brain explode Yay. um 
so I did marry the earth. Oh. I had a wedding oh. my first week of college. We're swooning. You guys can't see us. Tosca and I are swooning. <laughs> swooning real hard. <laughs> there are hands on hearts over here and, and raised eyebrows. <laughs> um, one of my favorite things to do is expanding the definition of words mm. as a way to open our minds and hearts to see just how ambiguous reality is. And I see so much shame and oppression comes from having these limited definitions. Mm. Um, and ecosexuality really is my spirituality. Mm-hmm. It, I, I'm seeing that more and more. And so it's basically how I view everything in life and how I see it. And it's, it's just a modern adaptation to ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like this is an indigenous, this is indigenous wisdom. And as someone who is white and living in the States, um, I am a colonizer and I'm also colonized because if I look far back enough to my ancestors, I came from witches who had their practices taken from Christian supremacy. And so grappling with that both and, like we were talking about Mm -hmm. before. And so that, like it's in my DNA, it's in my bones to know how to be an ecosexual. So just being in a consensual relationship with the earth and a lovership with the earth and... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, I love you. (laughs) I'm going to cry, it's okay. (laughs) Um, so what I love about it is we all know, we all know how to do this. Like it's in all of us. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not new. It's, it's a remembering. And so it's not so much a practice or like, this is what I do. It's like, it's an intuition. How do I feel? How, how would it, it, and it comes back to needs, like one of our, biggest needs as humans, I believe, is to contribute, contribute to others and to have meaning. Um, And I think for a lot of us, that is to be in relationship with the earth, because that is what, what part of us really, really knows. And so I think as soon as one person says, this is the way, or this is what we're supposed to Mm do, um, that sometimes can be problematic sometimes it's awesome like we need really great leaders for sure and I just want to like spread the message and empower us to be like well what did it how can I how can I be in in right relationship with the earth and that's going to be different for everyone because we all have different accessibilities to Mm -hmm. connecting with nature to connecting but that's the cool thing about it is like literally everything is nature like Mm -hmm. everything on this planet is from the earth besides like some asteroids and stuff (laughs) but like I don't even know if I'm using the right the correct terminology there but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's like how can we be more intentional with our practices without turning them into um just another form of oppression of like well everyone needs to do this or you're bad Mm. But more like it, it's like a really personal thing, um, and so ecosexuality is really personal because it's like, like when I go to the grocery store, um, you know, it's so easy for me to like fill up with like shame, guilt, anxiety, 
my friend and I were just talking of like putting our hats on like oh the shame guilt anxiety because we like both love foraging and we don't want to like Aww. buy a bunch of plastic all the time but but it's something I've really worked on it's like okay what what can I do without having the shame guilt anxiety where can I put my money what are the things and and then mm-hmm. all of it like it's just it's connected to literally everything mm-hmm. so I mean, it's hard to talk about this stuff without talking about white supremacy and racism because it, you know, loving the earth is still, it's connected to us being colonizers and anti-blackness. So, I mean, I feel like everyone's an ecosexual and it's just like, mm-hmm. how, do, how do you want to define that? But mm-hmm. like, if someone's like an activist and protesting on the streets or if someone's working in corporate America, you know, like we all are of the earth. So, mm. and to me, I am a big proponent of pleasure. And so to break down the definition and expand the definition of sex and pleasure, like I can experience so much pleasure from having my bare feet on the earth mm. or to swim naked. Mm. And so to like that is so pleasurable and then if you think about like there's penetrative sex penis and vagina sex that's like one definition of sex and then as our modern world becomes more and more aware of queerness and queer sex it's like oh well going down on someone that's sex oh fingering someone that's sex oh kissing and like like you know then there's people with disabilities and like don't have you know there's just all these ways to have sex and like oh so kissing can be sex so it's like our definition is getting broader and broader it's like well what's pleasurable let's center pleasure in sex Mm -hmm. and then it's just like okay well the earth is pleasurable like Mm -hmm. we can be we can swim naked we can be barefoot outside that's also sex and then the reason why I think to expand these definitions are so important is because it breaks down shame. It's like, how could being barefoot on the earth be shameful? Mm. And it's really challenging that, you know, Christian supremacy of like our bot that says our bodies are shameful. Mm-hmm. So of course we like people think sex is shameful. So I think ecosexuality is a- another way to challenge that and to um yeah, to really see how silly that is. It's like we're in <laughs> bodies. Mm. Of course, like, of course we are good. Of course, like, we deserve to experience these pleasures of mm. the earth. Like, how how could being barefoot outside be shameful? Mm. So then how could sex be shameful? It's pleasurable and we're good. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love the idea of, like, awakening the awareness of pleasure and how many forms that can take. Because... Like, I feel like people tell us that, you know, pleasure is so limited. It's like, oh, like a kiss is so pleasurable. It's like, yes, but also the breeze on my skin is pleasurable, you know? So I, mm, yeah, mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) mm-hmm. I'm curious, what did your wedding look like when you married the earth? (laughs) It was pretty wild. Yeah. Um, It was very intuitive. I didn't know that marrying the earth was something that some people do. It is something that people do. Um, it So it was my first week of college. 
And I went through such a transformation. I had a really intense reputation in high school. And I, um, like, I was known for doing lots of drugs and having lots of sex. And when I got to college, I was like, this is my chance to start over. And I took on the name Luna and I wanted to get a new tattoo and I got a toe ring Mm. and I was like, oh, well, I should get married. And so then (laughs) these were all my thoughts first week of college. (laughs) I basically went through my own initiation Mm. because we don't have that in our modern culture. So I was Mm. self-induced initiation. Um, And I was like, okay, so I'm supposed to get married. Well, who should I marry? Obviously, I should marry the earth. Like, I went to this super hippie school called Warren Wilson College, and it's on a thousand acres in the mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous. I became a witch there. Mm -hmm. Literally worked in an herb cabin and had uh, students come down and, like, make them teas. It was Mm -hmm. so magical. Um, It was really dreamy. And so I decided to marry the earth and told all of my new friends and they were like well I'm a I'm an ordained minister I I can marry you and I was like cool and I was like let me look up like some pagan thing online in my free time (laughs) so I did that and had some other friends were like well I just started learning fire spinning this week I could I could breathe fire for my first time and I was like cool bring it on and then my other friend who's like total lumberjack, who's like, I have this like super special knife that I made. Here, you can use it for your wedding. So I was like, I need to like give a blood offering. So I like cut myself in front of everyone. It was very dramatic. (laughs) Um, And they had like 30 people there and there were fire breathers and fire spinners behind me. And I like had all the elements and I spilled blood on the earth and poured wine on the earth. I gave libations and had my friend Wesley who is an ordained minister and she's a total badass Mm -hmm. and said some beautiful words that were quote-unquote pagan and (laughs) um yeah it was pretty it was pretty amazing oh my goodness what was the honeymoon like (laughs) (laughs) it's still going so much this whole conversation is like a sext to me yeah i know i'm just like ready to go outside and just like be naked yeah in my garden. we should have done i wish we could record outside um so i'm just gonna ask a question hmm. how could our listeners if they're curious about practicing being ecosexual start that journey Mm. I mean, what are some ideas you could maybe just like throw out there of like, hey, like if you're curious, try this. Mm. <laughs> what I love to tell people, I think one of the one of the most powerful practices for being in touch with ecosexuality and also just healing one's mm. sexuality in general, especially if people were um socialized female or just like bombarded with messages that their bodies are not good enough which is like mostly everyone Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I would say if it's accessible to you um taking pictures naked in nature Mm. or just being naked in nature but I think there's just like so many reasons why this practice is powerful. Like being able to be naked in nature, I think just really helps 
one see that our bodies are inherently so beautiful. Like, you know, when I'm outside on the earth with my bare ass and I see stretch marks and I see hair on my nipples or whatever it is, it's just, I'm like, oh, wow, this is my body. It's part of the earth. Like it mm-hmm. is just so obvious that I'm an extension of the earth and like how, like it's so much easier to see how it's aesthetically beautiful and it's like taken away from the billboards and Mm. the magazines of what I've been told I should look like. What am I saying? Billboards, magazines. It's more like just the internet nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I was raised on. Um, So yeah, just being outside, witnessing your body next to a river or on moss or in the forest, wherever. Um, And then on top of that, seeing yourself like really seeing yourself in photos in nature Mm. is such a healing practice and one of the biggest things for people that I find um, especially for my clients my um, audience demographic whatever is people really struggling with their body and that Mm. is the biggest stress in like really enjoying taking up space while having sex and asking for what they want and feeling pleasure and be able to tune into pleasure and not like get into spectatoring, which is like when you are self-conscious about your body, so it's hard to like be embodied and experience mm-hmm. pleasure. So that's why I work a lot with just helping people accept their bodies just as they are. And that's why I think getting outside as much as possible, seeing your body naked on the earth is so healing mm-hmm. in so many ways. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> you all are so sweet. Um, I'm really curious because I've heard you talk a lot about like how emotions can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. And as someone that was like socialized female, I had a lot of conditioning my whole life on how emotions are like negative and you're too emotional. Like, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on emotions? And are they can they be powerful tools? Are they potentially you know negative? Do men and other genders experience the same thing? Yes, to (laughs) all of everything. (laughs) Um, Yeah, everyone can experience really, really big emotions, and they can be powerful, and they also can be dangerous Mm. in a way that, like, I think, I, like, I see two extremes like I think mainstream culture will be like people are too emotional blah 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 and so then like the counterculture is like it's okay to be really really emotional like that's your power Mm -hmm. but then not without saying like but you can't like control people you shouldn't try to control people with your emotions Mm -hmm. and so that's something that I've definitely done in the past I've like especially in polyamory like I've Mm -hmm. used my emotions as adds a form of violence without even being aware of it of like no please don't go on the date with her like I can't I, it's too scary for me it's too intense I can't stop crying please 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 don't go and it's like I'm having such and like I might not even be saying that but I'm saying that with my emotions like I just mm-hmm. look like I'm gonna die and so my partner of course is like not they're not a sociopath, so they empathize with me, and they're like, oh, my gosh, like this is so painful to see you like this. Mm. Um, so I think that if someone doesn't 
isn't in touch with their emotions at all, like the first step is really just getting access to them. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're, if your access to them is, is probably going to be really sloppy, you're probably going to like, ab- you know, abuse the emotions and like try to control others with them when you're finally in touch with them. Um, but then I'd say the next step, and this isn't linear, I'm just, uh, this mm-hmm. is what I've noticed, is actually taking responsibility for them. So mm-hmm. learning different ways to to use your, like, how to channel and move your emotions. Like, a lot of people say this phrase of, like, emotions. It's energy in motion. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot of energy, and it's really, really powerful, and it's really important to move it. And so, like, you don't want to stifle it and just be like, well, I'm fine. And this is a way I think people bypass their emotions. Like, I had a past partner who thought that, like, he intellectualized why polyamory was okay and that like so he felt like he shouldn't have any feelings of jealousy he's like well no I I believe it's okay so like my emotions aren't real but then he would stifle it and then he would close his heart and he would like uh you know not be emotionally or energetically present with me Mm -hmm. so that was really painful so I think there's this balance of being in touch with what you're feeling, not shaming what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So meta emotions is a thing. It's how you feel about how you feel. Mm-hmm. And that is actually the most, that's the most important emotion, how you feel about how you feel. And accepting it, loving it, noticing it, being aware of it. And with that, often you can move it. And so then figuring out a way to move it. One of the best things for a lot of people is to consensually get permission from someone to talk about it and be like, hey, can I have 10 minutes? Hey, can I have 20 minutes? Hey, can you just like hear me out? Or like sometimes I have friends who like record themselves and be like, hey, I just need to know that someone's listening to me. Can I send this to you? Or to dance to 10 minutes of music really intensely or go on a run, but like address them Mm -hmm. um, and, and create a container for them to move, but don't throw them at each other. Mm -hmm. Like don't, we still need consent, just like forming a consensual relationship with the earth. It's like forming a consensual relationship around our emotions and our partners. Mm. Interesting. So really taking like full ownership of your emotions and then potentially asking for help instead of trying to outsource that help almost wordlessly. Exactly. Non-consensually to your partner. Exactly. Okay. And I think, That's yeah. Beautiful. And to be careful to notice if when people are being gaslit so Mm -hmm. I think that's another aspect of of things is like saying my partner if say my partner says something subtly hurtful and then I'm like that like starting getting really emotional about it and then they were like you know that you're crazy like why I didn't say anything I'm not doing Mm -hmm. anything wrong like I didn't call you any names Mm -hmm. and then like the emotions get bigger so like Notice if your partner is validating your emotions or shutting them down because that's a huge red flag. Mm. Or or if you're doing that to someone else, like I think one of the most important things in relationship is to affirm one each other fiercely Mm. and friendships just like affirm because the Mm. world is so harsh out there to have people Mm. surrounding ourselves that can validate us. And but be, you know, have fierce boundaries with us too and be like, hey, I love you and your feelings are so real right now and I actually don't have time to hold space for them. But why don't you call this person and then tonight I can, I can sit with you. But 
they're not like, you shouldn't be feeling that way or that's not okay for you to feel that way. Like if anyone ever says that to you, check them because that's not okay. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like if you suppress your emotions or have a partner that help, you know, is gaslighting you, it really only stokes the flame of the intensity of the emotion as well. And then it just becomes this like big monster. And it's like, you know, your emotions are just you reacting to the experiences you're having. And like, maybe they're being influenced by like past patterns or trauma, but it's still so important, like you said, to like put them in motion as well. And like, you know, be able to express them safely and, you know, from a grounded place and not you know, from from a place of like, my emotions are not being recognized. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder too, that energy of like, my emotions aren't being recognized. That makes my first thought, like as a healer, is are you recognizing them? Mm. Or are you just wanting someone else to do it for you? Mm. Ooh, mm, I needed to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> mm. um, speaking of pleasure. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad you're taking this here. <laughs> um, you've spoken a little bit about like hour-long orgasms. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. <laughs> How to. How to. Please explain. <laughs> Give me that. The first time I had an hour-long orgasm was when I was with a woman. I fell in love um, with an Australian while I was traveling in Nepal. We are the best. I do recommend it to the friends. <laughs> um, and it was the first time that I felt like I really was able to take up space mm-hmm. in my body um, because since it wasn't centralized around uh, a penis ejaculating, um, and so it wasn't this like linear, like, okay, all of this stuff is foreplay because we're like going to centralize penetrative sex and it's going to end in a penis ejaculating. And so once I realized that there was like more to that, my brain kind of exploded and like she would be fingering me and, um, going down on me for like four hours and um, wow stamina (laughs) I know not four hours maybe like I I just said four twice on accident but like it was for multiple hours time was kind of illusion um so yeah I think that helped (laughs) I think that helped too. (laughs) I'm just imagining like someone in the gym like lifting weights with just their fingers to get that kind of stamina. Like, (laughs) she plays the guitar, so guitar, babe. (laughs) But then experiencing that helped in my body and just my mind know that it's Mm. possible. And I think Mm. that's such a huge thing for people. So, like, another word that I love to expand the definition of is with orgasm and so many people define orgasm just as this like the 
increase in sexual tension and then a release and then an ejaculation. And I'm just like, there's so much more. There's so Mm. many other different types of pleasure and like these waves. So this was an orgasm that was like waves and waves of pleasure where I felt like I was waterfalls and the earth and Mm. like I was tripping. Like it, it just... It was such an energetic, full body, pleasurable mm. experience. And like ejaculative orgasms are awesome. And they're just not everything. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. just want to emphasize that to people because somebody's really have like somebody specifically speaking to vulva owners out there have trouble experiencing these ejaculative orgasms. And they think they're broken and they're not broken. Like I do believe everyone can probably have those type of orgasms, but I'm just saying they're not everything. Mm -hmm. And I want to emphasize people to following pleasure rather than following this like big release. Mm -hmm. And so, and sometimes there's like even more pleasure possible, but people are like, oh, the tension, the tension, like now I need a release, but like, rather than just like actually what feels really good in my body and how can I bring more awareness and presence to that and then like breathing into that or moaning into that sensation can just amplify it and amplify Mm. it and that's how I think having these like really big waves of pleasure can happen Mm. is like visualizing it and focusing on it. I love that and I like the visual of kind of really enjoying the journey instead of just like chasing down the destination trying to get there and it sounds like you personally really take that and run that into the rest of your life as well exactly like i'm visualizing going these beautiful walks feeling like the wind on your skin and taking these like beautiful naked swimming (laughs) sessions Uh you know like uh that couldn't be possible in the embodiment of pleasure if you were just focused on whatever your end goal was that Mm -hmm. walk or that hike or whatever Mm -hmm. I'm not always like that. I definitely like when I'm doing an online <laughs> when I'm doing an online course launch, I can definitely be like, let's go, go, go and intense. But often I'm like, wow, these flowers. I was just like out to lunch with a few of my sister's friends and they were like, Wow, you were looking at the flowers? Like I don't even have time for that. And they're like, That's so nice. Everyone has time for flowers. Exactly. <laughs> mm. So we're getting close to the end of this interview, which is sad, but we have a question that we've been asking everyone. So if you could tell your younger self one thing about sex and give her a little piece of advice, what would it be? That's such a good question. I would probably say something along the lines of what we were just talking about. And like, I would tell her to follow pleasure, like follow what actually feels good in her body, in her mind, in her heart, in her spirit. Mm. Um, Because thinking about consent, like so much more consensual reactions would happen if people followed their pleasure and were actually in touch with their pleasure because and then therefore like the pleasure of another person because we care about other people when we're Mm. actually like really in touch with our pleasure not just this like service level of like "Eh," but like really like no like I want my full body pleasure like I want this person to be okay and I want me to be okay so like whether I'm in a situation that I'm like wow how did I get here or like 
being taken advantage of. It's like if we're really embodying our full pleasure, like that stuff wouldn't happen. So that's mm -hmm. why I would really like be like be in touch with your full pleasure. Mm -hmm. Mic drop. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank this is you. so delightful. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests, from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind-the-scenes access. With more funding for our Sex Magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters, sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven. So I also wanted to take a moment to shout out a few of the patrons we have so far. Shout out to Melina Beatrice and to Meredith Andrews. Thank you so, so much. And also a shout out to my boyfriend and to my mom. Thanks y'all for supporting. It means a lot. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and support us on Patreon. We love you, and we want to continue offering these amazing podcast episodes, and we're so grateful to do that and have your support. <laughs>